Hey, what's going on, Who That Nation? It is yours truly, TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And I have a special guest with me from The Athletic. We have Larry Holder. Hey, how you doing, Larry? I'm good. How are you hanging? Hey, I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and uh, talking Saints football with us. We really do appreciate it. I'm just glad we're talking football <laughs> and Saints football. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're able to do this sort of thing as we're kind of navigating the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. And, uh, you know, they've been through, look, a hand, more than a handful of practices. So that's that's a good sign and not a lot of uh, not a lot of effects, thankfully, uh, really around the NFL with the uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the NFL has been doing uh, pretty well, um, you know, monitoring these testing, uh, testing and, uh, you know, making sure that these players are, are safe and putting putting protocol if there are some uh, tests uh, that come back, uh, you know, not the way they should be. But um, the New Orleans Saints, I mean, they've been doing a good job, you know, keeping uh, players safe and, and, you know, and controlling the uh, COVID, you know, the COVID, uh, you know, uh, testing and everything like that but the first thing I want to ask you uh, is about a player that actually signed with the Saints in the offseason and a lot of people thought that he was going to be a part of uh, the Saints organization and that's Nigel Branham uh, he was picked up uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles and he ended up getting cut today which was a shock to a lot of people so my first question to you is why why did the New Orleans Saints decide to cut Nigel Branham after they just brought him in yeah, I think that's it is an interesting uh, topic just because like yourself, I figured, OK, they're bringing in an experienced guy who can play multiple positions and he's coming from the Eagles where it's not like he played all that poorly. Like he was about to make too much money with the Eagles and then they cut ties with him. But, you know, I think that the Saints probably liked what they saw with some of their younger linebackers, uh, specifically, say, Alex Anzalone and Zach right. Bond. And it, it's funny, when the news came out this morning about that, I and I, I'd asked Dennis Allen and linebackers coach Michael Hodges about Bradham a couple of days ago, just curious to see what they were thinking and uh, where they might put him. And it's funny, they, you know, they said some good things about him, but they both of them also said, well, you know, they're competing and we're just going to throw them all out there. And then when I go back and think about it, well, that might have been a telltale sign that things weren't looking so bright for Bradham. And right. uh, look, I don't know if maybe something in there where he's saying, look, I'm not getting starter caliber reps and this that and the other and, right. and maybe he was ready to move on you know that could have easily happened I'm not saying it did but right. uh, it could have easily happened but uh, I think it just it is more uh, of a confidence boost that say Anzalone, Bond, maybe right. even Kate Nellis uh, you know some of those guys uh, they feel like give them a good base and maybe they want to see some of the other younger guys who might not cost as much and obviously they know what they have in Demario Davis and I don't, I don't know the total health right now of Kiko Alonso, but mm-hmm. they might be thinking, okay, maybe he's, you know, he could be available and uh, later on uh, as we move along. And so look, I think it's, it's more a positive sign that they like what they see from the, the linebackers outside of Demario Davis, since we already know uh, what they have in him. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I just looked at, you know, this guy is a veteran. He played in the NFL for nine seasons. 
Uh, but I do want to ask you another thing about Nigel Bradham. Uh, do you think that his comments um, in a press conference that was conducted last week may have played a role in him actually getting cut by the team? I mean, I know the Philadelphia Inquirer picked up the story uh, when he said, uh, quote, uh, I, I'm finally playing for a winning organization. Um, do you think that that could have played a role in the Saints deciding to, uh, you know, cut him? I don't think anything that little would do that. But, I mean, if you're in on a one-year deal and you're trying to make a team, uh, you know, it, it could have played a part in it. But I doubt it. I doubt that that was an overriding factor. I think it's probably more along the lines of, uh, of uh, that they feel a little bit more confident with some of the younger guys that have uh, and that they don't need a ton of linebackers. Like, if right. Nigel Bradham is going to be on the team – uh, and he's not a starter, but well, he better be able to play special teams, this, that, and the other. He probably hasn't done that a lot in right. the last several years. And so they probably figure it might be cost effective to go another route. And they like the young bodies maybe that they have at linebacker. Right. I mean, I, I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, the fact that they, they can cut him and feel confident about some of those other players, I mean, it, it speaks volume. Uh, speaking of which, let's talk about another linebacker, the rookie, Zach Vaughn. Um, he's been making a lot of ways at camp. Uh, and I also heard that he has been running with the first team. Uh, so what what can you tell us about uh, Zach Vaughn and, and what do you think he can bring to the New Orleans Saints defensively? I think that the fact that he's been running with the first team is probably a good telltale sign that they're comfortable with him either at the strong side linebacker, which is probably his spot uh, for now. And uh, And they ultimately want him to be a middle linebacker, so much so where uh, their linebackers coach, Michael Hodges, referring to his interview with uh, the media last week right. where he says he feels like he could be a good middle linebacker. And wow. that is something that he didn't really play a lot of, obviously, in Wisconsin. Yeah. He was more of a pass rush guy. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to try to mix and match those traits and kind of kind of play him wherever they feel like they can and feel like he brings some versatility. So. Uh, you know, the fact that we're seeing him early, uh, I think, is a good sign. It does kind of remind me of back when they drafted Alex Anzalone. You started mm-hmm. seeing him kind of move up the depth chart right. pretty quickly. And if you remember, look, he was starting when he got hurt in, in his first in his rookie season in 2017. Yeah. yeah and so, yeah. And so I, they probably feel the same sort of uh, comfort with Bond. But Bond is still kind of more learning the position of being uh, more, a more traditional linebacker, even though uh, I know that they're using him and want to look to use him in pass rush situations. Uh, the defensive line coach, Ryan Nielsen, talked about how they have worked with him a little bit because they feel like he could be maybe like an edge guy, you know, in a certain special package. But, but look, they definitely have high thoughts on Bond and, and the way he could be versatile and, and play maybe different multiple positions. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what you said about Alex Azzalone, I mean, he was doing an outstanding job coming from Florida. And, you know, until, like you said, until he uh, got injured his uh, rookie year, I think he got hurt in the Dolphins game when they played in London. Right. But he, I mean, he did an outstanding job. And, um, you know, I'm just hearing a lot of things about Zach Bond. I mean, I watched him uh, a lot in college when he was at Wisconsin. I mean, he's a smart player. And, I mean, I know Mike Hodges. I mean, he's been ranting and raving about him, about his football IQ in the offseason. You know, and, and now that he's on the field, I mean, everything that you hear about him is, is all positive. So we're looking forward to seeing him play. 
another uh, competition that is going on in Saints campus, the wide receiver position. The Saints have a, a platoon of, of wide receivers that I feel like could be starters on other teams if they don't make the starting rotation with the Saints. But one player seems to be making a lot of noise is Traquan Smith. Uh, Traquan Smith, uh, I, I heard today, uh, he has some really big plays. Uh, Drew Brees threw him a pass, I think, with like a 40-yard pass. Everybody's talking about the way that he's running and um, how how uh, big and how strong he's gotten the offseason. Uh, do you think that this could be the year that we see the Traquan Smith that we have been waiting for uh, since he got drafted from Central Florida? Yeah, I think it depends on your expectations just because if you look at the – hierarchy of say wide receiver and then you add Jared Cook to the mix and if Alvin Kamara is as healthy as everyone says he is and uh, Joel Thomas their running back coach says he is uh, more than healthy so uh, he would be your fifth option but I, I do think that they're looking at him uh, trying to see if he could develop him a little bit more in, in the deep passing game right. uh, but I think people also have to remember that Traquan Smith, uh, each of the last two years, had five touchdowns. So right. it, it's he, he's been banged up. And, and I know his rookie year, he was a little inconsistent. Man. But Drew Brees uh, certainly said uh, at, at the start of camp that he feels like this could be a big year uh, for Traquan Smith. And, you know, if Traquan could be a solid number three, I mean, you're not asking him to right. be a number two because you have Emmanuel Sanders. Right. But if he could stay healthy and, and – be within the offense, I, I do think that you can see that jump. And a lot of people, uh, I, I feel like they're, they're saying, oh, well, is he going to be the next uh, Nick Toon? And that's that's going back to the 2012 <laughs> whoa, draft. Whoa. Right, exactly, because there are high expectations for him. Right. He was a fourth-round pick back then, mm -hmm. and he really was – you know, he, he didn't turn out to be uh, really any part of the Saints offense. No, and and no, I, no. I, I wrote – yeah, I wrote before training camp that Traquan Smith – uh, he's already surpassed Nick Toon. So if right. you're making those comparisons, mm -hmm. you're just being lazy. I mean, right. that's that's where you are. <laughs> but no, look, I do think that Traquan Smith, uh, you know, it, it seems like he has a good report breeze at times. And you're starting to see that the last few days. And so, uh, you know, it, it's something that he knows the offense. He's with familiar with the system. So if any one of the, the receivers outside of Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders would emerge, I would I would definitely say he's a favorite, and he's looking so right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about Traquan Smith, and you said, I mean, I wouldn't compare him to Nick Toon. I think Nick Toon only had, like, one touchdown his entire Saints career. It's I because think. of the draft where a similar draft round, yeah. mid-round guy, high expectations. Right. And so that's, that's why I've, I've heard people mention him in that – ilk right. or even like an adrian arrington who was around the team for five years oh, yeah, yeah, uh, back yeah yeah in, in 2009 and in, in the early <laughs> tens and you're just oh you hear these camps superstars and then yeah. they kind of fade out but yep. no i think traquan is more talented than both of those guys and so yeah. you know that's it's unfair like that's the whole thing is it's an unfair comparison it, like traquan's better than those guys there's no question yeah ab absolutely and uh one thing larry i feel like is going to help him is the fact that I feel like he's going to play more on the outside. I mean, I think with Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, being a part of the Saints organization, he played mostly on outside too, and that's left Traquan in the slot. And uh, Traquan wasn't really, you know, a slot receiver. I mean, he he did most of his damage at Central Florida on the outside. I mean, he was fast. 
he was the one of those guys that can take the top off the defense um, defense and catch those deep balls. And I feel like him being on the outside a little bit more now that you have Emmanuel Sanders who can play on the outside, but I mean, he he's, he's a quality slot receiver. He can do some damage in the slot. I feel like Traquan Smith uh, probably uh, will end up making some more explosive plays. And I mean, Sean Payton even said, I mean, Sean Payton likes him a lot and he talks about how tough he is. And one thing you can't say about Traquan, I mean, he, he catches some tough passes. I mean, it, it's been a couple of times where, I mean, he has gotten decked. I mean, I could think about him taking a shot from, from Casey. I think he had to get stitches. I mean, a Philadelphia Eagles game, I think he caught his second touchdown and almost got knocked out. I mean, he, he's a tough guy. So and hopefully, you know, he can, I mean, he can make some more noise, you know, and, and, and be, a, you know, one of those players that can help contribute to the success of the team. I think that I think that's a good point though that you make that Ted Ginn's gone and it will allow Traquan to play more outside because Michael Thomas can play inside. Right. Emmanuel Sanders, we know he can play inside and it would play to Traquan's uh strength. So I, I do think that's a really good point. And Curtis Johnson, uh, as we did kind of our car wash of assistance a couple of days ago, he mentioned that he they're really looking to try to improve Traquan as a deep threat, him, mm-hmm. Sanders. And they try to steal Deontay Harris from the special teams and try to get him more involved in the deep game. But I think that is a really good point to have him play the outside because you have your your top two receivers are definitely comfortable playing on the inside when asked to play that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to see him uh, really make some noise because I, I really want to see him succeed. Oh, you mentioned guys that, that are considered like uh, camp heroes. Uh, we talked about the Adrian Aritans. Uh You can even probably throw a Brandon Coleman in there. Another guy that always uh, seems to come up is Emmanuel Butler. Um, Emmanuel Butler um, having another solid camp. Uh, a lot of people thought they were going to see a lot of him last season. He had kind of a reassured year with the New Orleans Saints. So uh, is it a possibility that we may see Emmanuel Butler uh, hit the field this year? I think it's too early to tell. And just for your listeners, a, a lot of people like to say, oh, well, the media overhypes so-and-so X, Y, Z. <laughs> we only report what we see. I right. mean, that's – and you know, Emmanuel Butler, for a couple of weeks there, he looked really good. He was catching passes from Drew Brees. Drew Brees running up to him and attaboying him, and it looked good. Right. Then he got hurt. Then he faded off. Mm. So – the hype was legit early, but then the fade off happened and, right. and wasn't, uh, you know, you weren't totally stunned that he didn't make the team because right. uh, you're not going to make it out of two weeks. So I right. think for Butler, he's got to do it consistently. And there are certainly slots open, say, past Traquan Smith, yeah. uh, you know, depending on where the Saints want to keep guys, uh, say, if they want to keep five receivers, if they want to keep six receivers and. Mix and match, uh, you know, where do you slot Ty Montgomery as like a receiver, a running back, you know, you hear the quote unquote numbers game, but right. uh, you know, look, the promise last off season was legitimate and he needs to replicate that yeah. for a whole camp though. And, right. you know, he's not going to have the luxury of preseason games and he fell flat when he came back from his injuries, he fell flat in the preseason games right. and it felt the time to develop them. And so you know, he doesn't necessarily say if he gets cut and they bring him back to the practice squad. You know, there's not this super hype around him where right. or there's not going to be preseason games if he would play well. So I think that's something that we have to take into account. But, yeah, I don't I think it's too early to tell. 
you know, you've seen some positive signs. And so, uh, you know, but it is not the Emmanuel Butler hype train. Not, not quite like you'd rather hear the hype train about a guy like Traquan Smith, which, right. you know, he's on the team and he's playing well. So that's a better right. thing. Yeah. I think with Emmanuel Butler, I mean, it's almost to me, it's it's like that that one guy that you know that you play basketball with all the time and he's really good, he's better than everybody else. Then all of a sudden, like some random strangers come out to the park and he doesn't play up the expectations. It, it, he reminds me of that. Like I feel like when he's playing when he was playing in practice and going up against guys that were on his team, I mean he was dominating. But then when you seen him like go up against the Chargers and with the Dolphins, he just kind of faded out. I don't know if, uh, you know, the, the lights were a little bit too bright for him or what, but I feel like if he can channel, you know, that 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 game, you know, that he brings to practice and, and he goes out there and he can catch a pass over C.J. Garner-Johnson, he can catch a pass over another cornerback, you know, and really stand out. If he can replicate that week after week, I mean, he would definitely be one of those diamonds in a rough and he can be one of those guys that can contribute in a big way to the team. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him as well. You know, I mean, looking at this guy, I mean, he, he looks like almost like a, a like another uh, Julio Jones or something like that in, in his uniform. I mean, he looks physically imposing. Like, so I, I want to really see this guy uh, step it up and, and really play with the confidence, uh, you know, that, that I feel like will take him to that next level. Uh, I feel like if he does that, then he'll, I mean, he can definitely make the team. And he can definitely uh, be a, a key contributor. Well, you brought up Brandon Coleman earlier, and it might be a good comparison to him because Brandon Coleman, he definitely had the size. It took him a couple of years to really get on to the roster. If you think back, uh, that camp, it, the undrafted guys everyone was looking at were Brandon Coleman and Shontavious Jones. Yeah, yeah. And both of them were on the practice squad, and Shontavious Jones actually got the late-season call-up Yep. to the 53-man roster while Brandon Coleman didn't. And Coleman, it took him a couple of years. And uh, it's similar thing, like you said, the lights come on and they get the yips or they're just, yep. they're just not ready for the lights. So yep. I think it's, it's a similar comparison to uh, right now with, with Emmanuel Butler. And, yeah, I'm curious to see where he happens because you're right. He looks the part. He looks yep. like an imposing figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think – Eyes will still be on him, and I feel like though if if he can't get it done this camp, I, th- I think the, sh- the 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 stars shine on him is gonna is gonna fade even more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you got a point on that. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's move to the defensive side of football. Well, Larry, I got to ask this question because uh, my my inbox has been flooded with this question since uh, the story came out yesterday about safety Earl Thomas. Now, Earl Thomas, you know, was uh, cut by the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, people have been asking me in the Who That Nation uh, <laughs> what the Saints consider uh, signing Earl Thomas. Now, if if you were the New Orleans Saints, could you see a spot for Earl Thomas on your team? And do you feel like Earl Thomas can contribute and help the Saints uh, possibly make another Super Bowl run? I'd say at this rate, no. Uh, just because I feel like they, they've – they like where they are at safety. Uh, they know, uh, look, Marcus Williams is going to the final year of his deal. Earl Thomas would be basically a free safety. You know, he wouldn't come in and be a Malcolm Jenkins type. Right. And uh, look, Earl Thomas is leaving kind of a combustible situation that he got himself into. Right. So right, I don't think the right. Saints 
you know, and I don't think Earl Thomas would necessarily come in and start fighting people, you know, that, right. you know, but it, look, it reminds me of uh, a similar situation where the saints said, look, we're going to eat it uh, because we want to get rid of a guy who's kind of combustible in the locker room. And that was junior Gallette. I mean, they yeah, ate a yeah. ton of money and yeah. he was coming off of two double digit sack years, mm-hmm. but the locker room was getting very muddy. In there, and Sean Payton, especially after that arrest, uh, after the 2014 season, uh, look, it was going to be over. Uh, They were they were basically waiting to see if the NFL would suspend him, and then they could try to get out from under that money. It didn't happen. Uh, I know the Ravens are filing a grievance because of probably conduct conduct detrimental. But look, I feel like that the Saints are, are feeling good with Marcus Williams. Uh, they've got C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They've got Malcolm Jenkins. P.J. Williams, they, they're calling him the Swiss Army Knife. I'm waiting for him and Taysom Hill to fight over the nickname. You know, now that <laughs> P.J. Williams has, has apparently taken it over, at least from, yeah. from Aaron Glenn and Dennis Allen. So, like, I, I just don't see it. I mean, I, I know P- Saints fans like to get excited. Uh, I get asked about Jadavion Clowney every day. Oh, you oh, know, so. Oh. Me so, too. Me exactly. too. <laughs> so, you know, I get the and I get the excitement over him, but no, I just don't think that uh, that the Saints like they don't need him. Like if they wanted him, and you know, I I just I just find it to be unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I just look at how the Saints have spent the last three to four years trying to uh, get a, a a good combination in the locker room. I think about all of the all of the problems that the Saints had, like you you alluded to with Junior Gallette. I mean, you even had stuff like Brandon Cooks getting upset when the, when the Saints played the Rams and he didn't get a reception in the game. Uh, you, I mean, you had, like, people in the locker room. And it got to a point where I, I can remember Drew Brees um, in an interview saying that he even contemplated retiring, I think, after the 2016 season. So, I mean, it was pretty bad. So I don't know if you want to bring somebody in that, that has that type of mind frame. That's why I was kind of shocked that the Saints even – thought about bringing Antonio Brown in. You know, I don't know what that was about, but I just feel like the Saints have done an outstanding job having a good mixture of veteran leadership, combine that with these young players. And um, these young players can learn how to be pros. They can learn, you know, how to, you know, develop into that leadership role. Like you see people like Drew Brees, he leaves, he's injured. All of a sudden, Demario Davis comes in and he's a part of the huddle. You see Cam Jordan and, and, and Teron Armstead, yeah, they're taking over the, the, the interview process. So I think that's very important for young players to, to, to have in the locker room is those type of veterans that can teach them how to be pros. And I don't think that Earl Thomas would fit that mold. You know, I mean, he's a great player. I mean, his resume speaks for itself, been, been one of the best safeties in football uh, ever since he's, he stepped foot in the league out of University of Texas. But it just wouldn't be a good fit. I would take a Malcolm Jenkins a guy who's a leader on and off the field over a guy that you, you really don't know what you're going to get, you know? So I, I, I really like the move and I, I will prefer to take Malcolm Jenkins over uh, Earl Thomas, even though both of them are incredibly talented. Yeah. When you look at that in, in those situations, you bring up Antonio Brown, uh, they looked at him because they felt like they had a hole at wide receiver. Right. They know he's uber talented. They wanted to give him a look. And then he made it a sideshow in New Orleans. They were like, okay, never mind. This is right. all we need to know. <laughs> but look at what they did last year with Janoris Jenkins. Right. They brought him in. He certainly had some baggage. Right. 
but they had a spot of need immediately. Right. And they said, all right, the baggage wasn't Antonio Brown-esque. Right. Uh, they felt like that Janoris Jenkins would come in and step in for Eli Apple. And look, Apple ended up getting hurt. Right. And so Jenkins played. And now they have Jenkins, who uh, they feel like is fits in this locker room very well. Yep. Aaron Glenn saying, look, he's really happy to be in New Orleans because it's yep. a winning culture. Yep. You have people who are you know good players and this, that, and the other left and right. Uh, the Giants have not been good for a while, and that yeah. culture has been bad. And yeah. so someone like him is like, oh, all right, good. And he's going to play hard, and, and now the Saints are in good shape. So it's different when you don't have, like, this gaping need. Like, do they have a gaping need at safety? No. Did they at wide receiver at that time when they were talking about Antonio Brown? Yes. Did they at that time when they were talking about Janoris Jenkins? Yes. And of them, I mean, Jenkins seems like the most stable of them now. So, yeah. uh, but, and, and I, I think that's, you're going to look around the league and boy, uh, I could tell you the saints are salivating with Jenkins and Lattimore as their one, two yeah. combo at corner gives them a lot of options to be, uh, you know, exotic on that defense because they can trust uh, their two outside corners who really play pe- press coverage. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with Jan- uh, Janora Jenkins. Uh, you know, I just think the frustration of uh, not making it to the playoffs and and having all the talent that he possesses. I mean, Janora Jenkins was a really good cornerback, you know, whether, he, whether it was in St. Louis or even in New York. And I mean, and when you're a big fish in a little pine and an organization seems like they're not doing what they need to do in order to get you where you need to be, that can become frustrating. I mean, he even said it. I mean, he's excited to be here. Like you said, uh, he's excited to be here. He's ready to play and he and he did outstanding job for those three games that he played last season so now that he has a training camp under his belt I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this one two combination uh but also i want to talk uh, last question is about the rotation uh, of the defense um you, you talked about Jadavian clown people been asking about him uh coming into the saints organization uh do you think that the saints need a Jadavian Clowney, or do you feel like the saints can be ready to rock and roll with what they have right now. Oh, I think they're ready to rock and roll what they have right now. And actually, uh, you know, some good uh, positive uh, comments the last couple of days, including today after uh, today's practice about Sheldon rankings looking good. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that he's running around, uh, you know, he, he provides uh, if he's healthy, he could be a pass rusher up the middle. I mean, for right. sure. And, Look, Marcus Davenport, I, I think people give him a hard time. I mean, he had six yeah. sacks last year. Jadavion yeah. Clowney had three. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> they, they get enamored with this. And, I look, I think Trey Hendrickson is a good number three. Yeah. Uh, Carl Granderson has had to put together a couple of good practices as a number four. We know where Cam Jordan is. Right. And, look, I, I just think that people expect, like, Mar, uh, you know, Marcus Davenport to be Reggie White right away. Uh, you know, so that's just. <laughs> I yeah, said I the same exact thing on the podcast <laughs> yesterday, last night. The same thing. I used the same person. <laughs> Did you? The same player. <laughs> took the I'm, words right off my I'm, mouth. I'm reading your brain. I think. Exactly. exactly. No, but it's a, but it, you look at it and he, he's, he's faster than the quarterback than J.D. Damian Clowney is. Like I did a big story on a few, a few weeks ago on The Athletic just about busting the myths of the, of the pass rush. And, and part of my argument was comparing him to Genevieve Clowney and to Everson Griffin. And, and look, 
Marcus Davenport was either right up there or even beyond those guys. Right. And it, it, you know, I just think people need to understand that. And I, I look, I understand frustration with injury, but look, the fact that he's put on weight, he's up to 280. So now he is, he's about 15 to 20 pounds heavier than he was his rookie year. Right. And now he's not just being fast, but he can muscle people. Like right. that is like, he's like about six, five, six, six. So he's tall, but as heavy as Cam Jordan. So they're trying to mold him into an every down guy. Right. And I know they have confidence to do that. They want him to be consistent. There's no doubt about that. And that's something that they said, look, at times he looked great last year and at times he wasn't as consistent. So that's got to improve, but I don't think they need, I, I think they're good. Like I think they have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL and one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. If people yep. complain about it, they better go watch other teams because they're definitely not as good as what the Saints bring. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they were like ranked in the top 10, I think, in sacks, I think, in the NFL last season. I think somebody said that they were average uh, defensive line. I, I said there's nothing average about team being in the top 10 at all. And, you know, one thing that really bothers me, Larry, is the fact that people give Marcus Davenport such a hard time. But Marcus Davenport over the last two seasons had – uh, better two seasons than Cam Jordan did. Cam Jordan did not have a sack his first season, and I mean he he's he's played at, at a at a higher level. If you want to, you know, pin, I mean, it's for the exception of injuries, he's played at a higher level. And I, I just don't understand about the whole clowning situation. I mean, like you said, he had three sacks. He never had a double digit sack season in his entire career, and he played opposite of the best defensive end in the last fifteen years in JJ White. So I don't understand, like, why is it that everybody just going crazy about him? The only logical explanation I can have is his name. You know, like, we in a Who That Nation, we love big names. We like splash players. And sometimes we don't really look at the stats or we don't look at what we actually have in-house. And I think a lot of the uh, the Who That Nation are, are, are pending their logic on the fact that they just believe that Davenport will get injured this season or – Sheldon Rankins will get injured this season, but if you if you're looking at these guys as as a healthy unit, they have one of the best pass rushers in all of football. So, I mean, I, I really I really like what we have, and I really don't understand the whole Jadavion Clowney watch that's going on right now. I think it's a reason why he's still out there in some cases that nobody really is going after him or giving him the money that he he wanted in the first place. There's no doubt it's because he's the number one overall pick yeah. and he was a freak in college. And yeah. even then people were like, well, maybe he takes downs off this set, the other to save himself for the NFL. It's like, well, now what's the excuse? And Oh, by the right. way, Trey Hendrickson had four and a half sacks last year. Yeah. Jadavion Clowney had three and he's your third defensive end. <laughs> so it, you know, it, it's like, it, it's the name it's, you get enamored with that and, and yeah. such. And so look, I, I, I think, and you were mentioned top 10, look, the saints were among the top three, top two in cat, some of these categories as far yeah. as pass rush goes. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it. I think you get enamored with a name. You want to be great everywhere. I mean, you can't be great, you know. So, look, I, the Saints are, are, are in very good shape as far as yeah. their defensive line is concerned. And, I, look, I think it's, it's a strength on the team that they have so many good players a- along the entire front four. Yeah, I mean, I, I like them. I like the fact that they're young. Uh, a lot of them are, are raw. I mean, you can kind of mold them into the players that you want them to be. 
And I mean, we, we got to remember those five weeks when Teddy Bridgewater was in a game. I mean, they were one of the best defenses in football. So I think if you can replicate uh, what you did those first five seasons through a 16 game span or what I like to say a 19 game span all the way to the Super Bowl, I think you should be OK. Uh, but Larry, thank you so much for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast. And before you get up out of here, can you uh, let everybody know how they can reach you? Absolutely. Uh, at Larry Holder on Twitter. Uh, and of course, look, I work theathletic.com uh, slash New Orleans. Uh, we've got blanket coverage everywhere of uh, sports all across the region. Of course, The Athletic, uh, we're all across the country, all across, across the world. Uh, you know, we just made two years old in our New Orleans bureau. I helped launched that and a kind of a, a brave, uh, brave gamble by myself and Will <laughs> Guillory a couple of years ago, but super thankful easily. Uh, you know, one of the best, if not the best sports sites in the world. So theathletic.com slash new Orleans. I look, appreciate you uh, having me on, man. I'm glad. And look, great minds think alike on some of these things and I did, I, that I didn't even know. It was almost <laughs> as if like, I, I promise you, this, the same things you were saying was the same thing I was saying on, on my last podcast, but I appreciate you so much, Larry, for being a part of State of the Saints podcast. Thank you so much for uh, sharing some of your insight with us in the Who That Nation. And um, we look forward to reading some of your articles in The Athletic. You got it. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you're doing this podcast. You're getting good guests like Jeff Duncan doing a good job. Appreciate, yeah. appreciate uh, all, all the support. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Uh, once again, this is the State of the Saints podcast, Mr. Larry Holder. Thank you so much.